welcome to episode 37 of the Talking Toro podcast. Joined as always by my good friend Roberto Gilman. Um, this pod is obviously so successful we don't need adverts and uh, we're not we're not we're not necessarily in the lookout for adverts but um and we don't ask we don't ask a lot of our listeners apart, apart from occasionally to contribute con- content and uh questions for quizzes but um if you do get a chance to hit the subscribe button on um whatever platform you listen to these podcasts that would be great um if you want to give it a five star rating and at the same time even better uh partly because since Twitter went a little bit strange towards the end of last year, we've noticed the um, it's uh, and we're quite reliant on, on on Twitter for getting the pod out. So we've we've, we've kind of noticed um, that's had an impact. So if we could, uh, yeah, if you could hit subscribe, be greatly appreciated. And um, anyway, on to better things, Robert. Uh, Lecce. Two two things I wanted to start with. One. Um, when did Lecce start stop playing in red and yellow stripes? And the second one, this was a bit inspired by the commentator on BT or on the world feed. Does Juric really look like Robert De Niro? Uh, well, first question first. Uh, I, again, I, I, yeah, I always associate Lecce with the with the yellow and red stripes. So whether that's just a one season wonder kit, or maybe that maybe it was there away or. Or something, but yeah. I've not researched this. I was just watching it and thinking, when's the last time I saw Lecce play in the red and yellow? Quite like I, I do quite like it though. I do like um, it's an unusual uh, kit color. So I do quite like teams who sort of have a color which is sort of like Tanana with the with the green and red, just sort of just throwing throw out a different mix up rather than sort of same old same old. It's quite weird that in Italy, not a lot of teams wear red and white. Um, probably is it. Awful colours, red and white stripes, never be seen together. But... Well, Vicenza probably disagree, but obviously, yeah, they're, they're the only team who wear red and white stripes, I think. But um, and then, yeah, um, Robert De Niro, I had to actually when he when he said it, and then you referenced it when we, when you text messaged me, I had to just double check who he was referring to because no, even Yurich does not look like Robert De Niro. Well, I I, I confess I'm a huge Robert De Niro fan up until around the year. He went weird when he started doing these analyze this and analyze that films and appreciate you're younger than me. So, um, well, you have, you have the same access to the Robert De Niro archive that I have. But yeah, I, I, I kind of, I guess in my university years, I used to watch, you know, Raging Bull, Deer Hunter, Godfather, um, just a lot of taxi driver a lot of great Robert De Niro films I'd kind of discovered at that time and yeah it was a bit of a hero for a while and then he started doing analyze this that analyze that and then when he did the Warburton's advert it's kind of it was time to walk away but I've not been able to get it out of my head since because I think Urich it's a very specific Robert De Niro um, era or pose that Urich paused and there is something there um and yeah, it's been with me all week. I can't is shake it, it off. And, and is it is it fair to actually just given De Niro's current sort of career plight that maybe Robert De Niro looks like Ivan Juric? Could could well be that people may soon be saying that. But yeah. um, but I think it's when Juric closes his eyes a lot, doesn't he? He's got this kind of expression where he closes, where he's kind of. And I think De Niro does that in certain roles. And um, for, for those who obviously this is a podcast and can't see, Peter has just closed his eyes for that. It was just I can't. I'm not. Yeah, I just the Lecce game passed me by after that. It was. Um, well, well, the other thing with the Lecce game, as you well know, because um, 
we were texting each other. I was the kickoff time was not great with um certain family commitments but um and things going on in the house. So I missed the first goal uh making a coffee. Then I decided that I needed something sweet with my coffee, so went back to get a uh cream egg. Uh missed the second goal. And then my youngest daughter needed a tire pumped on her bike about half an hour and if, if I go out, I'll come back, there'll be a third goal. <laughs> um alas there wasn't so it was a very kind of yeah it was um and I've seen a lot of Torino fans say oh the second half is very tense and typical Toro I'd say it's pretty I was pretty laid back about it I was thought it was the maybe the most comfortable win of the season um and yeah what you were probably a lot more focused on it than me but I thought it was the thing I'd say about the goals which I did eventually get to see classic Singo finish classic Sanabria finish does Sanabria only ever score one-touch goals? A lot of questions from me, but he's good. At, he's he's not as good when he has time to think about it, and he's and he's taken a few touches first. I mean, my, is what the, I'm saying. The one the one thing that will never sort of come out my head when we talk about Sanabria will be his first goal for Torino was a 25 yard strike against Crotone. Never attempt it again. That's that's the strangest thing I think. Whereas I, I think I, don't, I think he must have took a touch to set himself for that goal. But yeah, I think yeah, Sanabria. Maybe more time he's got to think about it. He's not as good um, instinct, and I think I think probably a good time to actually just just mention he's in a very good vein of form since the World Cup, since sort of the New Year. I think that's his fifth goal so far uh, since the the break. And for a player who we were sort of criticising as being so out of form again, still. I think he's only got the penalty for uh, goals at the Grande Torino, so it's still predominantly scoring away from home. But I don't think it's... Um, I think he's it's on cred- for double figures, yeah, which is something he's never done. Yeah, in cre- and credit credit where it's due, we've been quite... I, I mean, I, I do quite like Snabry. I think you hit the nail on the head in the last pod last week where you said I think he's a, a good sort of second sort of rotation striker, probably not your main striker because he does offer... A lot to the team in terms of his hold-up play, um, and uh, yeah, I thought he was very good against Bologna the week before, um, and yeah, got his got his goal. But I think a lot of it is um, down to the redemption of Radonjic. Well, a certain Lecce defender, he's, I think he had one too many protein shakes last week because he couldn't he couldn't live with. Uh, I, I mean, with, what, what do you call him, Maradonjic? Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't call him that anymore. I don't think anybody does, but. Um, I think when you see somebody as sort of top heavy as, as Bashirato is, and what Redonjic's greatest asset is his pace, that is a, a one-on-one matchup that you always got to fancy. So Bashirato looked like he'd walked out to Six Nations, didn't he? That was... it, yeah, he did. He did look like he should have been playing like prop for for Italy uh, in, against Wales on Saturday. But he, yeah, I think very quickly. You know, you sometimes see those viral. Um, videos where like they pause it and then they go at this at this stage I realised I'd messed up. I think when Bacharotto goes to ground it's probably that is probably where you need to pause it. Um yeah, but poor defending. Good play by Redonic and again, he's done what he he should really do a lot more. Isolate a centre back, sort of drag him out of position, beat him for pace, and then just do the simple thing, got to the byline, cut it back, and then you've got Sanabria there to finish it off. Uh so yeah, I think the the plus points from from the game obviously with Donjic we we debated whether after the derby whether he'd ever play for Torino again I 
I'm going to a rare correct prediction that I've had this season is that I did say that we didn't really have a choice. We sort of do have to play him. Um, and I think the the fact that he seems to have bounced back from the criticism for Juric, which would have broken a lot of play, a lot of players would have just been like, "Well, I'm not going to play for you again if you talk to me, talk about me like that in the press conference." Um, it shows a lot of sort of maturity, which is probably maybe not a word that's been associated with Redonich a lot in his career, but to yeah, come back and almost be like, "I'm going to prove you wrong," and thought he was man of the match um, on Sunday. Obviously, got the assist. Uh, great. Great goal from Singo. I think it was, like you said, a typical Singo finish. I think he's probably almost underestimated how how good he can be technically in terms of finishing. I, can, I think there's probably a couple of occasions where he's had similar opportunities at that far post. And the one thing he does do is keep his cool, which I think a lot of fullbacks in that situation are probably going to panic and then maybe lean back and, and goes high over the bar. But yeah. I thought it was, yeah, comfortable. Uh, getting the two two goals so close together, it's probably what we didn't do against Salernitana, despite having probably four or five times as many chances. We didn't get that second goal. We're punished in the second half. Lecce came out a little bit at the start of the second half, but I was never particularly worried about them. Sort of, Even if I felt they scored one, I thought it would be too late for them to, to get a second. I thought they might just either score in injury time or something. Yeah, I mean, Rodonich was only playing as well because um, Cara Madonna, <laughs> man at the moment, was um, was announced in the pre-match press conference that he he was going to be fit. Which, when I saw that news, I was like, ah, it's. Um, I thought his pace would be really useful at, at Lecce. Uh, Rodonich did really well. Credit where credit's due. Um, not to pay a backhanded compliment, but it was an, another good performance against Serie B, lower end of the ser- of the table opposition. Um, but I just thought, yeah, he worked hard. He made sensible decisions. He was decisive in the match. And I also like the fact he got 90 minutes as well, um, because I don't think he's done that too many times this season. Um, so that was good. The other, um, there was a bit of needle in the match, wasn't there? Which you don't often get much. Um, we certainly had not to, I can't remember too many kind of incidents this season. Um, Strafetza, who, I think I tweeted it. He, he was he was diving all over the place in that first half. Um, Lecce in general were a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I tried to turn it into a bit of a feisty match, but there was a moment. It wasn't there where Strafetta over exaggerated a foul from Illich. Um, a kind of melee broke through, broke out, and I was just like that. Seemed like be the only way that we might. Mess up. I mean, Vanya has really got to start staying in his box as well. He picks up too many yellow cards. Um, and he just picked up the, another ridiculous yellow card. But I just wanted to talk about Illich as well. I was just thinking about it. he's a bit like Lukic's bad boy cousin who's coming, <laughs> isn't he? He's he's like I don't know if you've seen White Lotus, the series on HBO where there's um there's a young love interest and effectively she, yeah, she always has a choice between a clean cut like Ivy League type guy. And then a guy from, yeah, a bit of a kind of uh, loud guy from Essex, shall we say. And I'm not saying Illich is that, but he's just, I think he's a bit of an upgrade on so far. He's a very, he's a different type of player than Lukic, but he kind of, he's definitely a different character on the pitch. I don't know what the two guys are like off the pitch, but uh, I mean, Lukic definitely was always very, Always thought a bit Ivy League. Um, I mean, Lukic, Lukic would get his fair share of yellow cards, and sort of. I think 
the issue probably that I think is probably made the main difference between the two is that it, it took Lukic probably four or five years to really cement his role in this t- in this Torino team. Obviously, previously he's come through as a youngster. He's been on that on loan, and you re- really sh- it probably took until Juric came in before you realised what he was actually really good at, and that was almost sitting and almost being a deep line playmaker. And Ilic straight away has come into the team, and within two months he just does what you know what he's good at straight away. Where I think Lukic was probably almost like a, a, a like a. a uh, played a variety of roles, even played as a, a trick artista at times under under Gianpaolo. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's... Just going back onto the Milinkovic-Savic thing, I do agree. I think it was totally unnecessary for him to get involved. But we have spoken in previous episodes, or I've, I've spoken in previous episodes about that lack of leadership and that lack of support. And actually, if... Yeah, it's unnecessary to run out of your uh, box 60 yards and probably... Sums up the fact that there's probably nobody else who is going to sort of have some have somebody's back in a in an altercation, and maybe Milinkovic Savic is sort of taking that enforcer role on himself because yeah. we are just a team of nice guys. Did we ever apart, find out who was, sent off, who was sent off from the bench? It who, definitely who, wasn't Juric. Yeah, I was expecting it'd be, it'll be Pietro Pellegrini just back from injuries. Um, but yeah, there's that's all true. I just yeah, I just think I think Vanya's going to get caught out one day because he's he's quite vocal to referees as well. Um but on Lucas, the other thing that came to mind was the two things it was quite interesting in the parallel to the Lecce game. He was starting for Fulham against Arsenal. Um I don't actually know how he got on, but it was a very, it was an interesting anecdote that Cairo gave when Lukic left. I don't know if you heard it. Um but he said he didn't hear Lukic's voice for for the first like four years of him being at Torino, and then there was a, the first must have been the first contract negotiation, and they were talking away, and then suddenly Lukic spoke up, and I think he said something like, "Oh, can I have an extra hundred thousand on my contract?" And Cairo turned to him. This is Cairo telling the story. When Cairo t- t- uh, turned around to him, apparently said, "Well, now I've heard your voice. Of course you can." Um, I don't know. If, yeah, but it was just it's quite interesting, obviously, and Lukic's character a little bit, whereas Ilic does come across as. Yeah, a, he'd have asked a bit for that. more of a street he'd have, fighter. He'd have asked for that hundred thousand on the first day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it, I mean, on the pitch, Illich gets around. He's quite dynamic. It'd be interesting to see how he fares with Richie, um, and also which one of them ends up being the greater goal threat and has the greater license to go forward. Because we started to see before Richie's injury, he had a little bit of that license and and. Clearly, he's got an eye for goal as well, but I suspect Illich may Illich probably the one with the better long range shot, and um, yeah, kind of more naturally the one to, to provide kind of overloads. But yeah, no, it was a it was a positive positive performance. The other player I wanted to ask you about, and I'm going to call him Andy G. How did you think? Uh, is it our new Guadalupean international did? I thought he was pretty steady as a yeah, no, replacement. Yeah, that's I, I did write down. Um... Gravillion. I'll practice my French uh, pronunciations. I'm, I'm sure many people in the uh, many listeners who, if can feel free to correct me if I've got that horrendously wrong. But I, th- I thought he did very well on his first first start. It does look like Gigi might be leaving the club in the summer, and even though Juric is sort of he's come out and said that he quite like him to stay, and that he, he seems to be like a crucial crucial player for his squad, I think probably there's probably going to be a, a bit of a, 
a difference in the negotiating in terms of what they what Torino think he's worth and what probably he he's looking for in in terms of a new contract. Uh, I think Catchy Grivillian coming in and sort of just playing that Gigi role really well on his first first appearance is probably a good a good thing for the um, for the balance of the squad and sort of shows that in Juric's system you can sort of interchange these defenders and and still get sort of similar results. Yeah, it was hard to get a gauge on him um, on that match because Lecce didn't pose too much of a threat. He looks um, maybe a bit more physical than Gigi as well, um, but whether he's got that same same ability to, to to break forward, we'll see. But yeah, I thought he did. I thought he did very. Well. He's also got experience of. He's not a kind of newcomer to Italian football as well. He's he's had a few years um, with different Italian sides as well. So. In that sense, he knows the league. Uh, but it'd be kind of interesting to see how much. Well, he's, he's a player we've got to make a, deci- a decision on, so it'd be interesting to see how much football he gets and how much we rotate the um, those players uh, in the coming weeks. I'd suggest maybe the more he plays would suggest that the GG contract isn't going to get resolved. And obviously, if they start, to, if GG starts to come back into the team, then maybe behind closed doors they have had that conversation. Because again, I don't think. I mean, bear in mind, if he would be a free agent, the cost of replacing him would be sort of relatively significant. So I think there's probably a chance of doing some sort of negotiation and, and deal. And, and 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 personally, it would be some... I think Gigi's proved in, in the two years under Juric that he fits the, fits, the, fits the system well. Juric likes him. And yeah, might not be the first choice uh, right centre-back. Again, he's get, getting on the age, but... Yeah, I think if if a deal was there to be done, it would make sense. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to talk about Lecce was um, the away support was was very good, um, just in numbers and in terms of seeming the atmosphere. I mean, I hope Lecce stay up because I'd like to. If yeah, if I can get out to an away game next year, like Lecce, and I've been to Bologna, the city, but not at the football stadium. And I've always kind of wanted to go to Bologna, but a trip to Lecce would be nice. And you know, if you can get us. A sunny afternoon with um, yeah, a good couple of hundred Toro fans. Um, and you were telling me there was a, I think it was a presentation. I think there's quite a few Torino clubs in the south. And I don't know how many of those fans would have travelled from from Turin and how many of them were um, from different areas of Puglia. But yeah, it was a very kind of very good turnout. It looked like you know, I'd, I'd envy to be kind of in that away crowd, uh, which. As, as somebody who's been to as somebody who's been to Lecce and watched Torino lose four 0 there, I don't have a massive desire to go back. But yeah, I w- yeah, I would recommend it. I think sometimes, obviously, between Torino fans, you've got you when you go to a home game. Obviously, you've got your sort of creature comforts that you like to do in Turin is sort of like a routine. But then going to an away game and sort of experiencing a new city is is also enjoyable because then yeah you can even if you're only there for a few maybe a day or two days to to enjoy the game you can sort of still see some there where like I there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have done had I not been a Torino fan but I don't think I would have ever visited Lecce um and yeah I would would recommend it if you get the opportunity is the ground is the ground close to the city Uh, it's fair it's fair bit out um friend of the pod Mesa gave me a lift back uh from the from the ground, that was, I think I, I think that was our first time that we met, and then I think I got a, I think I got the bus in, or I might, I might even got a taxi in at the time, just because I uh, was wearing my Torino shirt and Lecce were fighting for relegation, and I wanted to make my flight home. 
I was going to say, as I say, if you wore your Torino shirt walking around Lecce, what sort of um, response you got? Uh, well, this is where it helps that I'm six foot five. There <laughs> we go. Uh, so from from Lecce to Napoli, um, yeah, this is, I think this is the first game, well, taking aside the away game in April of this season. I don't like using the term free hit, but it does feel... Napoli are an incredibly good team and I, I've often come in here and I've look at our opposition and, just, and I think we can always have a go at them. I don't think some of the high the teams higher in the standings in Serie A are particularly, are particularly good. I'm stunned that Milan and Inter in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, to be honest, especially Inter. Um, but Napoli, they're, they're one, I think we're one of the best Italian teams I've seen um, this century. Um, and and they've got a good chance Champions League draw pending of doing pretty well in there. Also, I think Benfica have got a, a side issue. I think Benfica might be a good outside bet as well and a similar kind of um, team to Napoli in some ways. But yeah, just um, I think any result we get this Sunday would be a, would be a bonus. I am, I, I'm going to let you make your prediction a bit later first, but I'm certainly not. I'm, I've been... Very brave and thinking Torino sooner or later going to score three goals in the match, but I don't think it's going to be this weekend. And looking at the last ten home matches against Napoli, I don't know if you've seen the the numbers, yeah. but uh, eight defeats, one win. The player who Rob didn't want to be second in the twenty uh, first century heroes, Camel Glick, again doing it. Who scored the Robert. and who scored Robert. the last last player to sk- score for three now at home against Napoli? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't. No, it was it was three one defeat. Um, oof. Uh, uh, it's not great silence on the podcast. But I, I, uh, I give you a clue. He was number one last week. Oh, was it? Was it the Gallo? Yeah, and he, I was, and hoping, I was actually, hoping we'd have a Gallo free week this week. He's actually but... the only player to. He, he's he, so the last time we. The last time we scored was that he scored a penalty in the in the last one, which was three one, and in the yeah. one before that he also scored a uh, uh, goal from open play in another three one defeat. So yeah, Napoli are one of those teams, home or away, we've got a dreadful record against. Reese, I'd say in the last ten years, I'd say historically we haven't, but it's flipped over the last ten years. And there was two we've conceded five to them twice. Uh, there's the one, the Joe Hart season, we lost 5-0 towards the end of the season. But there was another one, I'd forgotten about this. We lost 5-3. There's a, there's a couple of three cracking things. We're 3-2 up in the 80th minute. The three no goal scorers, do you remember who they were? I do not. Okay, think of Venturis Torino. Bad attacking talent, using the word talent. Barreto. Yeah, Barreto scored. Lorondo. No, it wasn't that bad. Majorini? Majorini scored, put us 3 oh, to up, and wow. there was another striker in the middle who only le- actually had some contributions that season. Amari? A Bra- another Brazilian. Oh. Jonathan? Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> no, three scored. I mean, and then do you remember? Do you remember I, don't even, I don't even remember Jonathan scoring for but, Torino. So this, this shows how long ago this was. And an ex Torino. Midfielder scored a hat trick for Napoli. Blairim Jamali. Yeah, Blairim Jamali. He was one of the ones who got away. Um, so yeah, five three. But yeah, the only one we've won was that uh, was the Camel Glick. And I, th- I, I think that and... game was played in like quite heavy fog or snow, and like there might have been a chance that it 
probably could have been called off. I seem to remember watching this game thinking, I cannot see a thing. Uh, so, yeah, I think it could have been fog. I was Benito, I've got vague notions that it was Benitez is Napoli, but it was, it was the so. year where it was that year where where literally every corner came in and and Glick was sort of heading at home. And for balance, the um, the only other win, well, the win before the Glick, we also won one nil. You know who scored? Just for balance, your hero was it? Was it Mister Bianchi? Mr. Bianchi, just to give him, just so people don't think I really do hate him. Um, yeah, so the record's poor. Um, and Napoli have often played a, yeah, just a style of football we've not really lived with a lot of the time. Um, last season, it was, I don't remember watching the game last season, but it was the, um, did uh, Fabian Ruiz score? And, yeah, it was, that a, was a scrappy a, game, wasn't that was it? A, that was a Saturday 2 p.m. kickoff. So it was sort of like the time slot where you're not going to be able to watch it on BT. Uh, I was very niche um, thing, but I can remember where exactly where I was. I was in, uh, on the beach in Scarborough watching it on my phone uh, in a in a pub outside, uh, and I, I just uh, turned on uh, Bet365 to watch it on their little app, just as Ruiz scored, and then I think they may have missed the penalty. Um, I feel like feeling Insignia's missed a lot of penalties yeah. against Torino, but yeah, you, you you might be right. But yeah, just just quickly, just again, we did sort of discuss just how good this Napoli team is. Um, I really like this Napoli team. I think I would quite like them. I've, I think it's going to be a bit of a shame that obviously they are going to win the Scudetto. They're eighteen points clear. Player teams are going to be super interested in. Um, in Osiman and and Kevaric Skelia, I think they're just. It would be good to see this side actually not only just win the Scudetto but also even even just make the Champions League final to be that sort of landmark. I think it's good for Italian football to have two of the probably most talked about talents in European football to be obviously in the same team, but in the league, I think Serie A would be weaker if they were to both leave in the summer or even if just one of them did. Um, and yeah, I think. It's the only thing that maybe gives me some slight optimism, and it obviously it's not going to translate into my prediction. Is just going to be that complacency of being eighteen points clear. They played in the Champions League in midweek. They're going to have the Champions League draw tomorrow. Whether depending on who they get, if they get one of the sort of the Bayern Munichs or the the Real Madrids, whether they are going to be sort of concentrating on. I know it's still quite a long way away, but whether that's just sort of thinking or. Don't want to get injured for for the Real Madrid game, and and that complacency can sort of set in because they're so far ahead in the league, and and actually if they if they draw, it's not the end of the world um, because yeah, Torino away would be on paper one of the most difficult games that they've probably got left in their running. I think the, we've often talked about the post Champions League fatigue, and that never really works <laughs> against Torino. But this is also the last game, isn't it, before an international break? Yeah, um, which may count against us because they'll, yeah, they'll be able to go again and then some have a rest, some will go and will go away in international duty. I'm not sure any of that matters too much. Um, advantage Torino have is we are very well coached. We prepare for games very well. We approach games generally very well. So having that extra time um, will certainly be a factor. Um, but I just don't see. Yeah, what, do, what, what? Assuming uh, Caramo's back, um, do you 
does he return to the starting lineup in place? Well, also the other talk is Pellegrini is possibly going to make the bench. Vlasic seemingly is going to is going to be back in the squad. Um, I can't remember if we've got if we've had anyone else coming back. Um, but yeah, it's a slightly more potent attacking options at least for Torino. Yeah, I think that's that's promising just in terms of the bench that that has looked pretty weak when we've needed to make a change actually. When you've got again, we we've probably spoken about Redonich who starts games better than he does as a substitute. I think having even Caramo and Redon- and Vlasic's options off the bench against Napoli is going to be promising. What we what I mean, what we don't want to do is in the in the return fixture in Naples. I think we've two 0 down within sort of twenty minutes. We need to sort of give ourselves a chance, even if it's just sort of keeping keeping things quiet and then. Yeah, if it's if it's nil nil after an hour or something, then maybe you bring on you bring on Vlasic, you bring on Caramo and give it a real go. Um so yeah, I think yeah, I think it's probably gonna be dependent on how how fit, especially if Caramo is good to go, then maybe you start him. But I, I couldn't see Vlasic starting given given the fact that he's missed so many games. I'm not sure if Vlasic has done anything to warrant walking straight back into a team anyway, fit uh, however fit he is. Um uh, what's your prediction? <sighs> Given how, I mean, the form would suggest that Torino haven't scored in the last three, haven't scored from open play in the last four against Napoli, obviously. You would be thinking that Torino aren't going to score, but I will put my, I think I need to sort of recoup some points. So I will I will suggest that Torino will score, but it will be a 2-1 defeat. Yeah, I've gonna, I was going to say, well, I am going to say uh, 2-0 to Napoli. Uh, the other thing, Torino have only lost four of the last 16 league matches. We had a kind of, a lot of our defeats were condensed into that autumn period where we lost winter, Sassuolo, and then in Naples. Uh, but since Naples, I think we've only lost three or four times. So we're on, yeah, results-wise, we're, this, we're, on a, we're on a pretty steady run. These predictions could lead to me uh, irrationally celebrating a, a 96-minute consolation. Just to, just to claw my way back into that prediction. You want that classic football shirts at the end of the season, don't you? Well, so. I think I think I think my uh, chances that I uh, align gun, but I need to make it. I need to make it respectable. I'm 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 doing a bit of a uh, Sampdoria Cremonese at the moment. Well, we'll take a we'll take a little break. In part two, we're going to talk about uh, something a little bit different. It's nearly the spring. It's the time to talk about the primavera. Parte la rincorsa, il tiro in porta da Fara. 3-0, Tris del Toro, appena entrato Anza, la festa forse può già cominciare, il derby inizia a tingersi definitivamente di Granata. Well, that was the rare sound of Torino convincingly winning a Turin derby. Um, that was a third goal last week from a magnificently named Herbert Anza, who put Torino 3-0 up in the Primavera derby away at Juventus. Torino ended up winning 3-1. Um, I just thought we both stumbled, Rob and I stumbled across the match a bit by chance. It was on on Friday evening. It was free to air actually online. And um, it was, I'm still getting over the fact Rob's just told me he doesn't like coffee. Um, hence my um, yeah, slight, slight shock in my, my voice. But, um, but it was, yeah, the, the filming of the game was quite weird. It was, they had like a single, almost like a single camera 
about level with where the it was the opposite side to the benches, but about where the benches would be. I, I did I did quite so, like it though. It was like somebody was at a football match wearing a GoPro. Yeah, so it was quite cool in a way. Um, but Torino ran out winners three one. I was the first Primavera match I've seen in a long time, so I'm not going to confess to be an expert on the on the current Primavera team. But Rob, we watched the game. What did you like about it, apart from the fact that we outmuscled and outplayed the Golby? Yeah, I'd probably watch a little bit less than you did because I was getting ready to uh, to go and see uh, Martin O'Neill talking and cutting Coventry. But I managed to see uh, the first two goals anyway. And and I've seen a little bit of the Primavera this season. So when I went to Italy, they were playing Hellas Verona. Uh, and that was just on TV just in the afternoon before, literally as I checked into the hotel, I sort of put that on as I was getting ready to go out. And it's I, I really like watching the Primavera play. I think it's good to sort of have a almost like an eye on in the future. You know, in Italian football, it's very difficult for young players to break through into the first team. But it almost being being able to say, "Oh yeah, I saw him when he was playing in the youth team," and and then obviously, if, even when they do break through into the first eleven, it's quite cool to be like, "Oh yeah, I saw this player play like two or three years ago," and you already know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um. Beating Juventus is 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 a rarity. I don't really mind what level it's at, but obviously it to be at the sort of most senior youth team level uh, is is advantageous. And we've we've done quite well in in the Primavera League this season. We we've struggled in recent years, and and it seems to be where our recruitment sort of got back on track and and sort of picking up some of not only the sort of best young players from Italy as well, but uh, Duda Weidman uh, signed from PSG in the summer and, and he scored the penalty uh, to give Torino a lead and that's almost picking up these sort of gems from other academies who, where they're probably not going to get the opportunity at PSG to make the breakthrough obviously Torino is more accessible for a young player to if they're good enough you would hope that they would be given the opportunity to, to break into the, the first team um, so yeah I think it's that little I, I, this is a theory which I've got and I'm not sure whether there's much weight to it but I'm open to see what your suggestion is but I, I think in terms of Italian football I don't think there's a team who's got a link with their youth team and their Primavera as much as Torino do because of the fact that obviously after Superga the Primavera played the Primavera side played the last four games of that season, even though Torino had already been awarded the Scudetto. The Primavera then sort of took uh, the the place and, and the, the last four teams that Torino played as well also played their Primaveras. So there is almost that intrinsic link between the youth team and success. Um, and I, I've always felt that the Primavera is something for Torino to be proud of. They've got a very good history in terms of winning sort of the competitions and, and I don't think they've I don't think they've, they've the the Via Reggio tournament is quite famous in Italy as being a, a youth team tournament and I don't think Torino entered the team last season but they are entering the team this year um, and it will be interesting to see given their success that they're having in the league whether they can sort of translate that into success on a, a wider tournament which for those who don't know the Via Reggio tournament's a youth team tournament with teams from around the world. Um, and yeah, it would be interesting to see if Torino can sort of 
adds adds a, another trophy to their uh, to their history. I think you made some cracking points there. The, the superga angle is not one I'd I'd really considered, but I think it's a brilliant brilliant point, and I think we'll come on to why other reasons why Torino the the youth academy has always been important. It has been it's been important to have a good youth team. Um, but until the last few years, Torino was the most successful youth team in Italy. I think Inter have overtaken us with a few um, Primavera Scudetto wins in recent seasons. But Torino have nine 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 titles, and then the Via Reggio tournament. Yeah, I remember like fifteen twenty years ago, it was a big deal. It's kind of a tournament that takes place around this time of year. It's a bit of a random collection of teams. Like you'd have years where Ipswich Town would be there, <laughs> and random teams from Brazil and it'd often be who went the the Brazilian talent would end up being picked being picked up by someone in Serie B. Um but Torino, yeah, I don't think that tournament is as important as it was because I think the youth leagues this year become a little bit more professional. Um but yeah Torino have won won the Areggio six times as well. So kind of a great youth heritage and I think we'll come on to that in a minute. I just wanted to ask you you know, as not someone who follows the youth team every week, the, what, one of the things I was surprised at was the international nature of the squad Torino have. So, of that, because I've always associated the Torino youth team with Turin born players a lot of the time. Um, and that's, do you know how many Turin born players there were in the starting 11 of the derby last week? I would say less than three. So, the only one was um, Alessandro Della Valle, who's the captain. And the other players, so you had uh, Pietro Pasador, the goalkeeper. To me, he looked like a trainee lawyer. Um, he's from the Veneto. Then the, the birth places, uh, the birth cities for all of these players are not given. Um, but in defence, we had the Turin-born captain, and then we had uh, two French-born and one Ghanaian-born player. Uh, in midfield, we had a Cypriot, an American. Uh, Weidman, who you mentioned, is from Paris. And then uh, someone from Verona. And then Delacquilla, who looked a, a little bit of a kind of mercurial talent, I, I, almost the mercurial talent in a way that I predict he probably won't come through. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I've seen, I have seen players in the Primavera like that before. Um, I mean, I really hope he does come through. And then, um, and then, yeah, uh, Ng who scored, he's uh, he's from Sweden, um, so from a, originally from a Gambian family, so. Very international. And then we've got um, Sebastian Wade, an English player who was raised in Spain, um, a Spaniard, an Estonian. Um, and then at the Guardian, didn't they? they? They do 100 best young players in the world every year. And I think the first time I can remember Torino had a player on that list who, who was Aaron uh, Chamalicella or Chamalicella, who was. He, um, he was called up to the to the senior team for the for the Lecce game which yeah the, the, the day after because well, he came off on the bench um, but yeah Chameli Keller is is someone who's who's done well at youth levels with Italy as well um, and yeah one, one to watch out for but yeah kind of very very global team um, but it did look like you know I was quite impressed with Dembele um, the right back as well um, a lot of kind of and, and a lot of players he, who didn't look far off from from kind of um, being in well, what they say, be, being in kind of uh, kind of the first team discussions. And, 
just just a couple of points that if you actually look at the players in the in the current first team squad who've who've played in in the Primavera, you've obviously got Bongiorno, you've got Singo. So when I went to watch the Primavera play at Philadelphia, and Singo was the was the uh, right back on that occasion. Um, then you've also got Adopo, and you've got Genesis. So it almost that also shows you that international flavour that it isn't just. Obviously, you've got Bongiorno coming from Turin, and and uh, probably he's our vice captain now. But yeah, you've got players who've. It, it probably just shows how football's changed as, as a whole. That you, your scouting network isn't just limited to sort of the the closer facilities. It's it's a worldwide scouting network to try and find players to to improve your team, whether that's first team or or Primavera level. One thing I I really liked was the passion that like the, even at the youth level there were sort of Torino fans there. There were and after after scoring. Like you could see what it meant to the players. Like I don't think they celebrate that in in normal Primavera games. I think the fact that it was a derby, it was almost meant it. Some of the things that we were bemoaning in the senior level that that you didn't see that passion, you didn't see that sort of knew what it meant to them. You didn't see it, like how much it means to the fans. You can always see that at the youth level. And I, I seem to think there was a couple of it might have even been last season. It could have been. In the reverse fixture, like it kicked off in a, it's kicked off in a Primavera derby, Primavera derby four, four. Uh, and again, whether that's just based on sort of their ages and maybe a sort of certain flashpoints can can sort of lead to a bit more, a bit more trouble. Oh, well, I was trying to find this out, but I, I went to a Primavera game um, in about oh four oh five. It was nil nil. It was dreadful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Primavera derby. I can't remember where it was played. Um, it couldn't have been the Philadelphia, but it was somewhere around where the Philadelphia was geographically. And um, yeah, it was there was Primavera Ultras there as well, like <laughs> the next generation of, of Ultras. Um, I, I remember that very, very vividly. So is, it, um, it's like, is that like the... Um, obviously, we, we sometimes joke that for a player to be considered like a, a prospect, they need to have like three seasons in, in Serie C. Is that... Is that how it works for the ultras as well? They need to do their season. They need to do the groundwork in the Primavera first. I think that's. I think that's only fair. Only um, fair. Just a just a quick. I'm not sure if we're going to get onto it, but just a, a maybe opportunity to sort of mention. Uh, Jurich in an interview in the last couple of weeks has mentioned about second teams, and he uh, you played for Sevilla, and they mentioned that in Spain they have a, a second team or a B team setup, and obviously Juventus have a, a B team. I think they're called. Juventus next gen or something equally cringy, um, and they play in Liga Pro, the, what is formerly Serie C. And then there was talk that Torino would be interested in that. Now I'm not a big fan of this idea. I think there's enough teams in Italy historically to to make up a, a third tier without an, having to sort of rely on B teams. Um, but having a Torino B team in maybe like a Serie D. Where you can have players of a little bit older age, you can have them all in the same sort of train together. You can have them maybe players who get a little bit older, not limited to that primavera setup. I'm not sure it's the worst idea, but yeah, I wouldn't like it to sort of interfere with the, the professional ranks because yeah, anybody who knows the the lower leagues of Italian football, um, I'm sure people know it better than I, but 
there are a lot of teams who go bankrupt at the end of the season and and that can cause issues. I think Catania um, went bankrupt and, and are starting again. Uh, a number of other teams uh, have had a similar fate. So I don't think the solution to that is just filling the, the third tier with B teams, but uh, whether you whether you get somebody involved in, in the sort of semi-pro level where you can have a little bit rather than loan them, loaning them out I think it, it was a point on on Genetis and and that he's maybe not ready for the first team. He's not ready, but he's too good for the Primavera. Maybe there's sort of like a, a middle a middle ground that he could find. Send him out on loan. It's worked. In yeah, the I don't know. It always jolts when I see that Juventus next generation. This is not really an anti Juventus thing. If it was a Milan next generation, I just I don't like seeing it in the league table. No, it just looks a bit weird. I'm not in favour of Torino doing it. I think it might start diluting the Primavera league if there's. Uh, you know, a kind of another pathway. Um, yeah, does it give you the option to, look, and it's, you know, to not write players off when they're nineteen, twenty, and to keep them on a little bit longer? But it, it I think makes there's it, other ways of doing that. I think makes it makes a bit of a mockery of that of that division because obviously the the Juventus team can't get promoted, so the team who get promoted to Serie B could have been the team who finished second. But also, like Juventus have got the ability to pay for. Sort of five, six million pounds for for players from from South America or whatever, and then they can play in in that competition, which yeah isn't isn't particularly uh, fair on the other team. So yeah, no, I agree. I I I, I think from a fan, it would be another fixture to go and watch if you're uh, if you're into it and sort of do a double. But yeah, no, I agree. Torino, it's not inconceivable that Torino B team would end up being better than the. Third. I mean, it were ten, fifteen years ago when we had some pretty bad Serie B campaigns, it would have been a risk. We swap teams, they, but yeah, they could, yeah, they could, yeah, which, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say a really niche story then, but uh, probably, probably best to save that for another occasion. Well, just while we're bashing on Juventus, did you see the slogan that they so they at their youth complex like behind one of the stands? There was a, a, I guess it was their training complex, and there was the the big J on the Juventus logo in the building. It had a slogan: "Be your next you." <laughs> No idea what it's like. Someone at Juventus has found two two unrelated hashtags or something. But I, I don't know. Just yeah. Just some, no sometimes, like, sometimes I feel that in Italy, translation of English phrases just don't particularly go very well. When you, I'm sure the Italian sounds cool, but then when oh, you the translate B, it is the into B, English, is, is the B your next U reference to Serie B? I wonder. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, maybe the. Just I'm attempting fate as to what's going to happen. Preparing, um, but yeah, on the U team, I think maybe we go backwards because um, yeah, we're going we're to talk about a little bit of the heritage of it. I guess the other thing to talk about this, uh, well, talk about this current setup is Torino are playing their matches in Vercelli, which is um, about 100 kilometers from Turin, so not very really conducive for Turin-based Torino fans to, to go and watch. Um, there is there's been this movement or there's been a lot of disappointment about how few times the Philadelphia is open to Torino training sessions. And then suddenly we seem to be getting one a week at the moment, which is good. And there's been a bit of movement. Well, two things that why aren't the Primavera playing at the Philadelphia? Cause it's a perfect size venue. It is. If you want a youth team player to understand the heritage and the culture of the club, what, what a better place to train and play. And I guess the other thing is this, the whole saga of Torino um, having a proper uh, training complex has been this um, 
planning work in a place, an area uh, called Robaldo for a while, which hasn't gone off the ground. And a lot of that has resurfaced over the last two weeks, uh, partly because I think there was an interview with Kyra. And I just, I think this is, a, someone asked him a question. I don't, I don't think this has become something because of a question in an interview rather than something which is actually happening. But he was asked about the Stadio Grande Torino and uh, would he consider buying it? Um and his response, which a lot of Torino fans have agreed with, was yes, he would buy it if Torino were given the same conditions that Juventus were given to buy the uh, the old Stadio degli Alpi. Um, so there is a kind of a, do, a lot do you of know what, there's do a lot you know of noise con- about stadiums and and that kind of thing at the moment. Do you um, know what those conditions were, Peter? Well, uh, conditions. Uh, uh, basically, terms- I don't think they paid very much for it. And yeah, got, I think that's not. And they're not renting it from the council, effectively. Yeah, so. I think that was I think that was the subtext of, of Kyra's response. And again, given the difficulties that we've had with the Philadelphia finally sort of getting built, difficulties we've had with Rabaldo, I fully expect to see Torino uh announce their ownership of the Stadio Grand Torino in, in twenty forty. <laughs> Indeed. Um but yeah, the, the, going back to the Primavera, they have played at the Philadelphia. Um, and they played. They played a few. I think season before last, there was a random. There was a random match towards the end of the season where I think they were fighting survival, and there was they decided to play. There was over a thousand fans there to see them uh, win a kind of decisive match, but they didn't haven't returned there. Um, so we'll see how, how all of that goes. And then we'll, we'll just talk a bit about the last time Torino won uh, the Primavera, the the Scudetto. Which was fourteen fifteen, so that was under Moreno Longo, who became almost like a caretaker manager, I'd say, for uh, Torino a few years later. Longo was also a former youth team player at Torino, but we won who, the league. That's just, yeah. What, just, quick, just quickly, Peter, do you know who Longo manages now? I do. Is it? Is it? Um, it's not Pordenone, is it? We're all the Torino. No, it's, it is. It is the home of uh, ex-Torino players. Uh, it is Como. Como. So, oh, he, yeah, curr- so he currently manages uh, the, a mishmash of players that is Vittorio Paragini, Alfred Gomez, and Cesc Fabregas. Bazelli's at Como, isn't he? And, yeah, and, oh. and Daniele Bazzelli. Yeah. Um, yeah, winning that. I think Torino won that 14 15 title because there's a league format, isn't it? And then there's a kind of knockout format. Um, to it's almost like playoffs at the end, so it's not decided on a pure kind of league table. And then I think Torino won miraculously won two penalty shootouts to win the league. <laughs> but looking at that team, only one player I call him the Italian Lianco, <laughs> Kevin Bonifazzi, is boy, he's contracted to to Bologna, is still in Serie A. Um, Simone Edera was the only one really to make a breakthrough at Torino. And then his contract uh, was, I think, well, he left in January. I think was out of contract at the end of this season. But yeah, there's a few players dotted around Tenana, Rimini, Ascoli, these sort of places. But no one really made the breakthrough from that team, which to me, um, well, it's a shame. But it's also a big contrast from the Torino teams of the past. and yeah, it's part of the reason Torino got the reputation for being such a strong youth team. But um, yeah, I don't know how much you saw of that, that Longo team, but 
that yeah, it was kind of it didn't have a massive impact on the first team squad, did it? There didn't seem to be the pathway there for a lot of those players. I think it. I suppose it is. It is such a a, a difficult sort of thing. Like like I was saying earlier, you've got there probably is that aspect where you've got players who were probably too good for the too good for the Primavera, not good enough for the first team. So actually, yeah, the solution there is probably just loan them out. So your Primavera is almost filled with players who maybe aren't even your top prospects. That's probably sort of your top prospects you would expect at seventeen, eighteen to to get a loan move to to a professional club, either whether that be in, in the third division or, or in Serie B. So it it is a strange makeup and that's probably where Torino I would quite like to see and I think they have done in, in terms of actually focusing on the Primavera and actually signing players for the purpose of that youth team where you're not going to you're not just going to loan them out you're going to sort of try and make them because it, the the Primavera side is or the league is actually done on two divisions as well so let's say with the getting relegated and going on to that second tier would make the, the standard of development even worse um, so yeah I think it is probably strange that the players who've come through and had decent Serie A Serie B careers probably weren't even involved in the most successful Primavera period for Torino obviously you mentioned Bonifazio you mentioned Adera but you've got players like Mattia Ramu, Vittorio Parigini, um, Alfred Gomez, who I mentioned as well, who were in and around the Torino first team for a few seasons under Mihailovic. Um, I think Parigini, when I was doing the research for the Napoli game, he came on in a in one of those Napoli games under Mazzari. Um, so it is having a having a successful, uh, almost being. The, the the main aim of the Primavera is to produce team players for the first team. So actually, while having success is important and is not going to be harmful, it isn't really the main objective. Um, so whilst it's good for if if Torino can win as many, many tournaments as possible at youth level, it's not going to be a bad thing. But the main priority is also just ensuring that they're getting that good sort of development ready for that first team call up as and when it comes. Yeah, and I wonder if this era of mass sub benches and five subs actually allows you allows a first team coach more of a license to play youth team players as well. Because when it was three subs, there might be very tactical base subs. Uh, you'd have a shorter bench, but when it's five subs, if a game has gone in a certain direction, that gives you the freedom to to br- kind of bring on young players. I just think that le- level of opportunity is there. And I'd, I'd like to see that in. If and if and when this season sort of tails off and it looks like maybe a top eight finish isn't going to be possible, like I would have no objection to bringing on a younger player who's impressed in the Primavera and gets almost that reward for what they've done in the youth team, rather than actually bringing on somebody who probably doesn't care about a sort of twenty-minute cameo. Whereas for somebody to make their professional debut, that's quite a big deal. And I think the other thing we should say was Torino did a few years ago win the uh, Coppa Italia Primavera as well, which Bongiorno was part of. Um, and then you had Milico, who did look like for a very short period, like being like one of those, the big new talent from the Primavera. But um, again, uh, it didn't work out for him. And that was kind of a shame because historically, 
you mentioned Superga, which was a great point. But as a youth team, Torino had a rise in the late sixties, and then one of the players that came through was was Paolo Pulic, who became record goal scorer, um, and a kind of integral part of the Scudetto winning team mid seventies. And then you had another era as a legendary coach called Sergio Vata, who took us to numerous titles late eighties, early nineties, and then you had Lentini, Fuser. Um, Antonio Comi, your friend Franco Lerda, Giuseppe Pancoro, Sandro Coes, Daniele Delicari, Christine Vieri. Um, you know, a lot of players who went on to play for the national team or have at least a very good Serie A careers. And then in that decline of Torino <clears throat> from, um, you know, from the mid 90s to, I guess, that long, when the Longo team, you know, we went t- over 20 years without winning anything or, really bringing too much through from the Primavera team is what you find in football is when there's no investment in the first team, there's going to be generally even less investment in the Primavera team. And I think now we are starting to see um, more players coming through, more players being given a chance and a little bit, a little bit more success again at that level. Um, I just want to mention the Christian Vieri thing. It's one of the, it's one of the, Little footnotes in Torino's history it's kind of winds me up the most. But Christian, I don't know. It just when Torino were doing kind of fire sales and just you know getting rid of literally the armchairs in the headquarters when we were raising money for anything. You, I mean, I've probably told this story before, but we let Christian Vieri go. Christian Vieri was a clear talent. He was an Italian under twenty one international, just kind of very almost yeah, very unique physique as well. Um. And you know who who we swapped him for, don't you? Do I want do I want to know? We swapped him for Gianluca Petracchi. <laughs> Not as a director of football, as a wide man. I think Petracchi must have played he didn't play more than five games for Torino. But wide man was um his position on the pitch, not a judgment on his weight, yeah. <laughs> but uh Vieri, yeah, I mean Vieri never stayed anywhere very long. So I'm not suggesting he would have had a glorious career at Torino, I mean, he, but he, one of the weird weird things, he was on the bench in the UEFA Cup final in 1992. Uh, obviously, yeah. as, as a very young man and in an era where substitutes just didn't particularly happen. Um, but yeah, it goes to show how well thought of he was to have even made that made that uh, being on the we, bench. Torino had, a, for the 50th anniversary of Superga, uh, Torino either played, I can't remember if we played Juventus or we played a kind of all-star Serie A team. Um, but Vieri played, I think he played number nine in the kind of Grande Torino kit and he did look really good because <laughs> um, he had a bit of a physique of a 1940s player as well. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, f- fingers crossed. The, the other player who came through the Torino youth team was Raffalone, the, the the bad guy from the Italian job. So he was one of the early um Early early players and later actor to come through the Torino youth team. So there's a it's a lot of history there. But yeah, no, it was good. It was it was good to stumble across the derby last last kind of a Friday night and just to engage again with, with with the youth team. And hopefully, yeah, I mean, hopefully it's going to be a positive end of the season. And and but we see we kind of see a couple of players uh, make appearances for the first team. Yeah, and I think I think probably just a word to say that. A lot of the Torino Primavera games are seem to be being televised in Italy. I think it's uh, Sport Italia, and that was 
that was how Peter and I watched it. Their website isn't sort of geo locked, so you can watch it. So if um yeah, if you get the opportunity, it's worth sort of having a little look at the the start potential stars of the future again. Caveated with this is Italy, a lot of young players don't come through, um, and yeah, even even players in their sort of mid twenties are still sort of considered as as youngsters. But you look at you look at someone like Richie, who obviously came through MP's academy, but then came into the first team, and then obviously now is is doing so well for Torino. Uh, you look at Bongiorno again. These the the Italian talent is there. I think. Mancini's probably going to be naming his Italian squad um, to, today for the for the European game uh, for the international games that are coming up soon, um, and yeah, there's a lot of suspicion that some of the striking talent is, is going to come from Argentina and, and possibly from Romania, little players who play, that, yeah. play in these countries. So it probably is a, a bit of a sort of sort of says how how little sort of Italian striking talent there is um, that, that having to look at uh, in, in other leagues for this. So yeah, maybe there will be a, a, a star of the future for the, for Torino and the Italian national team as a striker. And they just, we just haven't seen them yet. Well, interesting thing, the, the big talents of the general Italian youth system the last few years is uh, Cesare Casade, who went from, um, Chelsea uh, Inter to Chelsea in the summer. I noticed he scored for Reading. I didn't realise he'd gone on loan to Reading. Maybe it's a Paul Ince connection through it from Inter as well. But um, yeah, it's just Torino were quite clo- heavily linked with him in yeah. the summer. Um, I think we even reportedly offered like nine or ten million euros. Um, and to see, uh, you know, nothing against the the championship, and you know, maybe he would have gone out and on loan to Serie B had he stayed at Inter. But yeah, it just it kind of just goes to show the different pathways play, players are finding. Um, on the nas- Italian national team, I've, I've just noticed the the England squad. England are playing Italy, and I noticed the England squad's been announced. So I guess the, the Italy squad will be coming shortly. Do we expect to see Richie and Bongiorno in the Italy squad? Well, Richie will have the opportunity to apologise to uh, Chiesa again if he. Uh, is Chiesa not injured again? Is Chiesa oh. not injured again? I think he might uh, be injured. Probably from probably from that Richie, <laughs> cha- maybe from that Richie challenge. But I would I would expect to see Richie more than Bongiorno. I still think Bongiorno is probably a little bit away in the pecking order. Um, uh, yeah, probably. Do you know what Italian striking talent Pietro Pellegrini is back fit? I think Mancini's going to have a look. It'll be just our luck that he will get called up to the national team, score a hat trick, I mean, and then get I, injured. I mean, the, the ridiculous thing is, like, Pelegri is playing for the under twenty ones as of like last year. Like, he's he's basically Benjamin Button. He just he, he seems to be going down in age. Like, um, he played in the, how this is how old Pelegri is, but also simultaneously how young is he made his debut in Francesca Tatti's last game for Roma, and scored twice. I mean, that seems like an eternity ago, but. Yeah, he's it probably maybe one of the reasons for his injury issues is that he was 16 and, and thrust into to professional football. So maybe that's the downside of of putting players in into into effectively men's football before they're ready. Well, let's hope Torino are ready for Napoli this weekend. Uh, I think next week we'll be back with a pod. We'll do a Napoli review. Um, and following on from the best players of the 21st century, we have thought about doing the worst players, which 
when you embark on something like that, you realise there's a uh, there's a lot more to choose from than there were the best players. But yeah, we may be we may be putting uh, canvassing some opinions on that and um, having a bit of a bit of fun with that in the next week or two. There's even talk of a is there even talk of a Toro quiz? Or... Yeah, the, the poten- potentially if um, if we, if we get the opportunity during the international break to. Peter can and try and defend his crown. I'll I'll be the quiz master this time, and uh, yeah, I'll uh, have to listen back to to Mace's quiz from Christmas and just make sure I don't don't ask any of the same questions. But not yeah, that we'll but, remember the answers anyway. So. Yeah, this, well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, part of me was tempted to try and find a question where the answers blackball again, just for Peter to, to re- recap his heroic moment in the in the first edition. But yeah, hopefully that will be uh, something that we can sort out during the. Uh, the sort of lull of the international break. Well, cool. Thanks everyone who made it this far. Yeah, and said at the beginning, do hit subscribe and uh, give us a give us a few good stars if you can. And uh, we'll see you post Napoli. Forza Toro. Forza Toro. <laughs>